Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to Revolutionary Christmas. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and today is Wednesday, December 21st in the year 2022. The race is on for the great Christmas event of the weekend whatever that is in your house, but it's going to be good either way because we're going to have a great week. You know, there's a lot of discussion about the real date of Christ's birth and all this. Look, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I don't care how you cut this. This is a week to like celebrate Jesus and take back the domain of control from these Luciferian people, which are going to have to be cast out anyway into the lake of fire. And we'll be selling tickets for that, too, so you can watch the event and watch them all scream to the very end. All right, Patriots, before we begin, make sure that you are taking care of your good night's sleep. That's important. And that means the best and only place to go is to go to MyPillow. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards is the best place to go out there for your late Christmas gifts, for your early New Year's gifts, and for your New Year's event in bringing in the new year with new pillows and new sheets maybe even a mattress or a mattress topper, maybe even some pajamas because they've got it all. Everything you need, including slippers for your feet when you get up out of that warm, comfy bed, walk around in the morning, but make yourself an espresso. And what are you going to do then? You're going to probably use my coffee. I knew it. I knew you were thinking about it already. It's all a one-stop shop for everything you need in the morning from waking up all the way to getting that first sip of Java into your body to light your day up, rock and roll. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash bards, mypillow.com forward slash bards, your bards promo code. What is it? B-A-R-D-S. Can't miss it. Most popular promo code on the web. Bards. You're going to take care of all sorts of fantastic deals. Great opportunity to support an amazing company that has spent incredible resources to fight for liberty and the integrity of elections. And if you get to that point where you're like, you know what, bards, I really need to speak to a real person. Then all you have to do is dial 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939. Use your same Bards promo code. A Patriot Pillow Counselor would be right there to help you through that very difficult and exciting moment of deciding what products you need out of the thousands that are there on the site. So there you go. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. And remember, if you're giving a pillow to a liberal friend, just don't tell them it's my pillow until after they sleep on it and then tell them that that was done by Mike Lindell. I'm sure that'll be good for your lasting relationship in 2023. But away we go. All right, Patriots, we have some crazy stuff going on today. I want to start just by bringing attention to Montana. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the weather, but this is insane up there. So in western Montana, which is pretty normal, this is up by Missoula. They're not doing so bad. Minus three, central Montana up by Great Falls. They do usually get hit pretty hard. Minus 28, and I just saw another thing here a minute ago, minus 32. Billings, Montana, minus 16. You're looking at visibility 10 miles in Great Falls. It's only three miles in Missoula. Visibility is six miles. Humidity is running around 58% in western Montana, which would be up by Missoula. Central Montana, Great Falls, 85% fog and mist with visibility of three miles. It's pretty crazy. And they've got a southwest wind of nine miles per hour, which means they've got a pretty good wind chill going on up there. I don't know what all that looks like, but it's looking pretty bad. They do say dangerous wind chills up there. Oh, and there it is right there. With the wind chills, they are minus 40 degrees below or colder. Now, let me tell you something. If you have never been in something like minus 20 or minus 40, I've been in minus 40. Last winter I spent in Minnesota was a week long of minus 40. I, I That's a level of cold I just, I can't even describe to you. 
And, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, like, if you go outside, you're going to die. Your skin is going to freeze. That, yeah, kind of. But I'm going to tell you, it's a sucking type cold that there's once it's like bone chilling cold. I would literally walk. I was working for a company up in northern Minnesota, and I'd walk from my office to the car, and that was all of about 100 feet. And the amount of cold that you felt, I had a great heater in the car. I would turn it up as hot as I possibly could. It was just blowing on my hands so I could drive home. I mean, it was crazy. But, yeah, this is some cold weather, so keep your prayers up for these folks. They're definitely dealing with some stuff, and um, that's where the Kahenics are too. Brian and Jill are up there, so keep our prayers up for them as well. But that's that's the craziness of what we're living in. So I kind of want to, um, I think we'll start with a lighter piece here tonight because we're going to talk about, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about Revolutionary Christmas. I want to go back into Valley Forge, and I want to talk a little bit about their winter. But I really want to start with just a perspective, I just love this piece today, of those that are just eager for the fight. What else can we say? I think that's about, that about sums it up, I think. I'm so ready for a home invasion. I almost want it. I do. I have a whole fantasy of a maniac in my house with an axe and he can't figure out why nobody's home to kill. And then he goes to leave and he just hears the windows and the doors lock in unison. And then over the intercom, he just hears... (laughs) You have chosen the wrong house, my son. Some houses are so easy to break into, but so difficult to leave. Welcome to the game, boy. Welcome to the game where the hunter becomes the hunted and only you can tell death to come back another day. Release the hounds. You could just imagine, like Christmas, you have a bunch of liberal relatives over. Somebody wants to start on their progressive agenda. Everybody gets up from the table. The the regular ones walk away. The house shuts down. Oh, you thought you could bring those into this house, could you? <laughs> well, welcome to the game, my friend. Welcome to the game. By the time you leave, you'll be praising President Trump. <laughs> Something like that. I'm, you could play that on. You could play that on your Christmas music set right in the middle of dinner. That'd probably go over pretty well. There you go, Patriots. You know we are in a really amazing time right now. We say that, and it doesn't always feel like it because we get pretty much wrapped up in our own nonsense. And I will say this, and I, I want you to hear this as a very loving statement. I'm going to make this Christmas for me is actually kind of exciting. For, another, for a reason that most people would never in, expect me to say. I'm excited about the fact that America is finally realizing that we're at war. And I'm really excited about the fact that America is finally coming to grips with the fact that war sucks. And I say that because Christmas is, I've spent a few away. And they're pretty different when you're downrange. You've, and especially in my role, because I wasn't part of a dedicated unit. Everything I did, whether it was in my time of photojournalism or my time working with special operations, I was kind of like the lone guy doing stuff. And if you didn't know this or not, Muslims don't celebrate Christmas, so that's kind of a weird one. And and I say that because I was on the local villages a lot. But the one thing I can tell you is it the most important thing that stands out and the most significant thing that stands out during the holidays had nothing to do with politics. In fact, we really didn't listen to much. And it wasn't a whole day event of Christmas because you don't have time. War doesn't stop for Christmas. But this is what it was, though. It was always the meal. It was special. And I have to give a lot of credit for as much criticism that is levied for like KBR that was a Halliburton company and all the money they spent on food. I'm going to tell you, these are some real heroes when it comes to this time of year in the efforts that Halliburton would go to to bring meals just troops around the country. Now, there was a sergeant major in particular that, and, I, and I, I'm not going to share his name, but he, we were up at a fire base. And this was a sergeant major that was just kind of had the spirit of the season. And he literally made calls for weeks to get, we were helicopters, and this is in 2006, helicopters, Chinooks were very heavily resourced and there wasn't enough of them. 
and he made calls to every other sergeant major he could find in the in the region, and he got a commitment from the Chinooks to be able to run extra ring routes, which these ring routes were meaning they would do these routes up and around to these small little fire bases. And I'm talking like two to four man teams in these fire bases. And these guys weren't going to have any Christmas dinner. They were going to be faced with eating rice and goat, which for most guys is fine. I mean, all of us were fine with that, but this was an event and he, he was on this small fire base in Eastern Afghanistan. And he went to this KBR cooks and he says, listen, and remember, that's a contracted element, so they don't always have to agree. They do it, they support as best they can, but they are nonetheless contracted. And he said, Listen, I want to bring food to every one of my guys that are out here on all these fire bases. And I think, as I recall, there was about 15 of them when we find I flew with him. It was an amazing day. I think we had about 15 stops we did. And mermites are the things that keep he- food warm and they had the source out to get more mermites in and this cook team cooked literally for 24 hours and filled mermites and kept food hot and loaded up they had the supply group come up and load up all these mermites onto the back of the chinooks and the chinooks had a scheduled times but they were able and this is the way ring routes work but what they would do is they'd radio ahead and if they could get hold of the guys and have them come out to the landing zone And the Chinooks would land and they would extend their time for maybe five to 10 minutes at a spot. And we'd pick up the mermites. And one of the places, the, the, uh, the embedded trainers that were his guys, there was only four of them had, they didn't even get the message. They were still sitting in their hut and their hut was like way in the back side of this fire base. So he and I, and a couple others were running with hot mermites to deliver food to them for Christmas day. This is, and I say this, you see some Herculean efforts and some amazing stories of greatness in these times of year. And I say this because we have a lot to be thankful for, an amazing amount to be thankful for. And we kind of forget the origins of what it took to get our country. So I want to read you a story here tonight. And it's called Christmas at Valley Forge 1777. Now to set the context of this, if you remember, in the in Christmas, which would have been the 25th and the 26th of 1776. It was the night of, of that, of December 25th. During the American Revolution was the first move in a surprise attack against, organized by General George Washington against the Hessian forces, which the British had brought in, which were mercenary forces. And it was just, it was right up in Philadelphia and just outside Pennsylvania. And was in this first move of attack, they, these were the Hessians were the German auxiliary forces aiding the British, and they were in Trenton, New Jersey. You can still drive up to Trenton, though today Trenton's an absolute war zone of death and destruction thanks to gangs and the reckless policies of liberals. And so on the morning, they crossed the Delaware, which was icy and, and thick with ice, and they were doing these, these small uh, longboats that they were in. And the troops were cold. They had been eating tack. If you're familiar with that, tack is just a flour and water mixture, trying to stay warm around campfires. Many of them had feet just wrapped in cloth. And this was a surprise attack that they were able to finally have a victory because it had been a pretty rough lead up at this point. Uh, In 1776 was obviously the start of the American Revolution officially, even though it really started in 1775 with the Battle of Lexington and Concord. But it ended up being a pretty rough year because they got booted out of New York. The British sent in a lot of reinforcements, and it just didn't turn out to be the, the glorious year that they thought it was going to be. And so this was a surprise attack. It happened. It was a planned. It was planned in total secrecy. And he led the column of George Washington led his column of continental troops from what is today Bucks County, Pennsylvania, across the icy Delaware River to today's Mercer, Mercer County, New Jersey, and um, it, it, it obviously extremely challenging logistically to do that. So they crossed the river and ended up surprising the, the Hessians. They defeated the British reinforcements. They were led by Lord Cornwallis at Trenton, and they finally defeated them on January 2nd, 1777. Now, we fast forward to a year from that point in time, and things have changed. 
the the Continental Congress doesn't have much money. It hasn't been able to raise funds. The army is re- literally running off of the donations of the colonists. And the troops now are up at Valley Forge. Now, if you have never been to Valley Forge in the wintertime, it is a cold and desolate place. And they're living in these log cabins that are just with mud in between. There's no insulation. They're trying to stay warm. They've got these bunks. There's And there's really nothing to eat around there. The troops have cleared off a lot of the land. And there's even not a lot of support necessarily from some of the colonists around there because people are getting, they're just beginning to question whether this is really going to work. And some are even questioning George Washington. So let me read this story. It says, many of us have ancestors who fought in the Revolutionary War. And this is by Ethelene Dyer Jones, by the way, which is titled, titled um, Christmas at Valley at Valley Forge, 1777. So many of us have ancestors who fought in the Revolutionary War, whether they were the, with General Washington at Valley Forge or at Cowpens or Kings Mountain or any of the other notable battlegrounds of our War of Independence. They were there to lay down their very lives as the price for freedom. Let us take a little time to recall Christmas of 1777 during that war. Christmas in wartime is especially difficult, and so it was at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, in 1777. These are the times that try men's souls, wrote Thomas Paine in his well-circulated pamphlet entitled The American Crisis. His opening line became the pivotal description of the Continental Army that fought against great odds to win freedom. Indeed, Valley Forge stands as a monument in time attesting to the trying times General George Washington and the Continental Army faced. Was there any hope for the struggling nation against the British? Was the dream of freedom to be lost amidst the cold, illness, death, and deprivation of harsh winter? The Continental Congress had been forced to flee Philadelphia under British occupation. Little hope remained for support and supplies to be fed the starving troops. There they were, 12,000 tattered troops with their general, George Washington, encamped at Valley Forge, despite the bitter cold and the seemingly insurmountable odds of disease, starvation and lack of provisions from the lowest point of the revolution, the troops were trained and drilled into fighting form. A miracle was taking place as men shuddered in the fields of Valley Forge. Dr. Albigence Waldo was one of the doctors ministering to the troops at Valley Forge. His diary gives us insight into both the pathos and the glimmers of hope of that Christmas in 1777. Universal Thanksgiving, he wrote, a roasted pig last night, God be thanked for my health, which I have pretty well recovered. How much better should I feel were I assured my family were in health, but the same good being who preserves me is able to preserve them and bring me to the ardently wished for enjoyment of them again. December 8th, page 88. On December 25th, Dr. Waldo wrote, Where are still, we are still intense. Of General George Washington, Dr. Waldo stated, He has also acted wisely. His conduct, when closely scrutinized, is uncensorable. Were his inferior generals as skillful as himself, we should have the grandest choir of officers ever God made. General Washington, for his cold tent, began a letter to the President of the Continental Congress, tendering his resignation, citing abandonment to the starvation and neglect. In the midst of his writing, General George Washington heard sounds coming from the field. Was it a mutiny, as one of his officers has predicted? He braved the falling snow snow and bitter cold and wind, giving... from pl- going from platoon to platoon where fires glowed, embers sputtering and hissing against the snow, pots on the fire, and each location gave off strong odors of whatever provider, provender 
the soldiers had found of wild game to flavor their gruel. At each location, he was met with shouts of, Long live the United States! Hail to our chief! May liberty prevail! At one stop, George Washington asked, Have you not suffered enough? The lieutenant in charge responded, Having come this far, we can but go the rest of the distance. With you to lead us, we can't lose. Washington's and Washington and his aide made their way back to the general's tent. When they arrived, they found garlands of holly and cedar twined around the mar- marquee that identified the headquarters tent and draped above the tent flap door. General Washington took the letter he had started to Congress. He burned it in the fire his aides had built aside his tent. May God relieve your sufferings if this Congress will not. And a good Christmas to you, he said. I am not sure of the timing, but I think, I like to think that it was at this point that General Washington fell to his knees and prayed at Valley Forge. He spent the remainder of his winter encouraging and training his troops. By June 1778, they were ready for an advance against the British. Christmas 1777, bleak, comfortless, and cold as it was, became a time for building hope. Patriots, in our history, we have everything that we need to remind us of the trials that it took to win this liberty and freedom of a nation. And for all the tests and trials that we've been through, the deceit, this evil that we face, they face just the same. What separates us from them and now is a technology gap, which means nothing other than just tools of war. These troops faced insurmountable odds. If you've been there, you know that the snow often was covered in blood from feet that had been so worn, so cold, frostbitten. People were dying of dysentery, of flu, of disease. And yet their resolve never failed. If there's one thing that we see in the writings of the old, it's that they understood and lived, lived with God in their heart. It's even in in the doctor's writings. Because the faith in Father God, the faith in the kingdom was part of who they were, and it's the foundations of what made this nation. So let's read another story of prayer and war. This one is the true story of the Patton prayer. And it begins, as the chief chaplain of the Third Army, and this takes us to World War II now, throughout the five campaigns of the staff of General Patton, I should have some knowledge of the event that is known as the Patton prayer because at the direction of General Patton, I composed the now world-famous prayer and wrote training letter number five, which constitutes an integral but untold part of the prayer story. These incidents narrated in sequence should serve to enhance the memory of the man himself and cause him to be enshrined by generations to come as one of the greatest of our soldiers. He had all the traits of military leadership, fortified by genius, by genuine trust in God, intense love of country, and high faith in the American soldier. He had no use for half measures. He wrote his line a few days before his death, anyone in any walk of life who is content with mediocrity is untrue to himself and to American tradition. He was true to the principles of religion, Episcopalian, and it was regular at church attendance and practices unless duty made his presence impossible. The incident is now famous of the now famous patent prayer commenced with a telephone call to the 3rd Army chaplain in the morning of December 8, 1944, when the 3rd Army headquarters were located in Caserne, Malafort, in Nancy, France. This is General Patent. Do you have a good prayer for, we- for weather? You must do something about those rains if, they were, if we are to win this war. My reply that I know, my reply was that I know where to look for such a prayer that I would locate and report with him within an hour. As I hung up the telephone receiver about 11 in the morning, I looked out at the steadily falling rain. 
immoderate, I would call it, this same rain that had plagued the Patton's army throughout Mosul and the Tsar campaigns from September until now, December 8th. The few prayer books at hand contained no formal prayer on weather that might prove acceptable to the army commander, to the, the army's commander. Keeping his immediate objective in mind, I typed an original and improved copy on five by three inch filing cards. And it read, Almighty and most merciful Father, we humbly beseech thee of thy great goodness and restrain these immoderate rains with which we have had to contend. Grant us fair weather for battle. Graciously hearken us as soldiers who call upon thee that armed with thy power we may advance from victory to victory and crush the oppression and wickedness of our enemies and establish thy justice among men and nations. I pondered the question, what use would General Patton make of the prayer? Surely not for private devotion. If he intended it for circulation to chaplains or others, this Christmas not far far removed, it might be proper to type the army commander's Christmas greetings on the reverse side. This would please the recipient, and anything that pleased the men I knew would please him. And so he wrote, To each officer and soldier in the 3rd United States Army, I wish a Merry Christmas. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We march in our might to complete victory. May God's blessing rest upon each of you in this Christmas day. G.S. Patton, Jr., Lieutenant G.S. Patton, Jr., Lieutenant General, commanding 3rd United States Army. This done, I donned my heavy trench coat, crossed the quadrangle of the old French military barracks, and reported to General Patton. He read the prayer copy, returned it to me with a very casual directive. Have 250,000 copies printed and see to it that every man in the 3rd Army gets one. The size of the order amazed me. This was certainly doing something about the weather in a big way. But I said nothing but but the usual. Very well, sir. Recovering, I invited his attention to the reverse side, containing the Christmas greeting with his name and rank typed. Very good, he said with with a simple smile of approval. If the general would sign the card, it would add a personal touch that I am sure the men would like. He took his place at his desk, signed the card, returned it to me, and then said, Chaplain, sit down for a moment. I want to talk to you about the business of prayer. He rubbed his hands, was silent for a moment, then rose and walked to the high window and stood there with his back towards me as he looked out on the falling rain. As usual, he was dressed stunningly, and his six-foot-two powerful-built physique made an unforgettable silhouette against the great window. The General Patton I saw there was the army commander to whom the welfare of the men under him was a matter of personal responsibility. Even in the heat of combat, he could take time out to direct new methods to prevent trench feet, to see to it that dry socks went forward daily with rations to the troops on the line, to kneel in the mud administering morphine and caring for a wounded soldier until the ambulance came. What was coming now? Chaplain, how much praying is being done in this third army? Was his question. I parried, does the general mean by chaplains or by men? By everybody, he replied. To this I countered. I am afraid to admit it, but I do not believe that much praying is going on. When there is fighting, everyone prays. But now with this constant rain, when things are quiet, dangerously quiet, men sit and wait for things to happen. Prayer out here is difficult. Both chaplains and men are removed from special buildings with a temple and steeple. Prayer is most of prayer to most of them is a formal ritualized affair involving special posture and and liturgical liturgical setting. I do not believe that much praying is being done. The general left the window and again seated himself at his desk, leaned back in his swivel chair, toying with a long lead pencil between his index fingers. Chaplain, 
I am a strong believer in prayer. There are three ways that men get, get what they want, by planning, by working, and by praying. Any great military operation takes careful planning or thinking. Then you must have well-trained troops to carry it out. That's working. But between the plan and the operation, there is always an unknown. That unknown spells defeat or victory, success or failure. It is the reaction to the actors of the or to the ordeal when it actually comes. Some people call that getting the breaks. I call it God. God has his part, a margin in everything. That's where prayer comes in. Up to now, the third army has been very up to now, God has been very good to the third army. We have never retreated. We have suffered no defeats, no famine, no epidemics. This is because a lot of people back home are praying for us. We were lucky in Africa, in Sicily, and in Italy, simply because people prayed. But we have to pray for ourselves, too. A good soldier is not made merely by making him think or work. There is something in, a very, in every soldier that goes deeper than thinking or working. It is his guts. It is something that he has built in there. It is a world of truth and power that is higher than himself. Great living is not all output for thought and work. A man has to have intake as well. I don't know what you call it, but I call it religion, prayer, or God. He talked about Gideon in the Bible, said that men should pray no matter where they were, in church or out of it, that if they did not pray, sooner or later there would be a crack up. To all this I com- I commended I commented agreement that one of the major training objectives of my office was to help soldiers recover and make their lives effective in this third realm, prayer. I wouldn't I would not do harm, it would do no harm to re-impress the training on chaplains. We had about 486 chaplains in the 3rd Army at the time, representing 32 denominations. Once the 3rd Army had become operational, my mode of contact with the chaplains had been chiefly through training letters issued from time to time to the chaplains in the 4th Corps and the 22 or to 26 divisions comprising the 3rd Army, each treated, treated of a variety of subjects of corrective or training value to chaplains working with troops in the field. General Patton continued, I wish you would put out a training letter on the subject of prayer to all chaplains. Write about nothing else, just the importance of prayer. Let me see it before you send it. We've got to get, we've got to get not only the chaplains, but every man in Third Army to pray. We must ask God to stop these rains. These rains are the margin that hold defeat or victory. If we all pray, it will be like what Dr. Carroll said. The allusion was to the press quote some days previously from Dr. Alex Carroll, one of the foremost scientists described, who described prayer as one of the most powerful forms of energy man can create. It will be like plugging in on a current, current whose source is heaven. I believe that prayer completes the circuit. It is power. Within that, the general arose from his chair and assigned uh, that the interview was ended. I returned to my field desk, typed training letter number five, while the copy was hot, touching on some or all of the general's reverie on prayer, and after that staff processing, presented it to General Patton out the next day. The general read it, and without change, without change, directed that it be circulated not only to the 486 chaplains, but to every organization command commander down to and including the regimental level. 3,200 copies were distributed at, to every unit in the unit, Third Army over my, over my signature as Third Army chaplain. Strictly speaking, it was the Army commander's letter, not mine. Due to the fact that the order came directly from General Patton, distribution was completed on December 11th and 12th in advance of its date, December 14th, 1944. Titled Training Letter Number 5, with the statutory chaplains of the 3rd Army, the letter continued, At this stage of the operations, I would call upon the chaplains and the men of the 3rd Army 
United States Army to focus their attentions on the importance of prayer. Our glorious march from the Normandy beach across France to where we stand before and beyond the Siegfried Line with the wreckage of German army behind us should convince the most skeptical soldier that God has ridden with our banner. Pestilence and famine have not touched us. We have continued in unity of purpose. We have had no quitters, and our leadership has been masterful. The Third Army has no roster for reach of retreats, none of defeats. We have no memory of lost battle to hand on to our children from this great campaign. But we are not stopping at the Siegfried line. Tough days may be ahead of us before eat, we eat our rations in the Chancellery of the Dutch Reich, of the Deutsches Reich. As chaplains, it is our business to pray. We preach its importance. We urge its practice. But the time is now to intensify our faith in prayer, not alone with ourselves, but with every believing man, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, or Christian in the ranks of the Third Army, United States. Those who pray do more for the world than those who fight. And if the world goes from bad to worse, it is because there are more battles than prayers. Hands lifted up, said Boskek. Smashed more battalions than hands than that strike. Gideon of Bible fame was least in his father's house. He came from Israel's smallest tribe, but he was a mighty man of valor. His strength lay not in his military might, but in his recognition recognition of God's proper claims upon his life. He reduced his army from 30,000 to 300 men, lest the people of Israel would think that their valor had saved them. He ha- he have, we, have not, we have no intention to reduce our vast striking force, but we must urge, instruct, and indoctrinate every fighting man to pray as well as fight. In Gideon's day and in our own, Spiritual, spiritually alert minorities carry the burden and bring the victories. Urge all of your men to pray, not alone in church, but everywhere. Pray when driving, pray when fighting, pray alone. Pray with others. Pray by night and pray by day. Pray for the cessation of immoderate rains, for good weather, for battle. Pray for the defeat of our wicked enemy whose banner is injustice and whose good is oppression. Pray for victory, pray for our army, and pray for peace. We must march together of all out for God. The soldiers who crack up does not need sympathy or comfort as much as he needs strength. Do not, we are not trying to make the best of these days. It is our job to make the most of them. Now is not the time to follow God from afar off. The army needs the assurance and the faith that God is with us. With prayer, we cannot fail. Be assured that this message on prayer has approval, the encouragement, and the enthusiastic support of the 3rd United States Army Commander. With every good wish to each of you for the, a very happy Christmas and my personal congratulations for your splendid and courageous work since landing on the beach, I am, etc., etc., signed the Third Army Commander. The timing of the prayer story is important. Let us rear- rearrange the date. The prayer conference with General Patton was 8 December. The 664th Engineer Topographical Company at the order of, the, of Colonel David H. Tolley, C.E., Assistant to the 3rd Army Engineer, working night and day, reproduced 250,000 copies of the prayer card. The Adjutant General, Colonel Robert S. Cummings, supervised the distribution of both the prayer cards and training letter number 5 to each of the troops by December 12th and 14th. Between December 12th and 14th. The breakthrough was on December 16th in the 1st Army Zone when the Germans crept out of the Schnee Eiffel Forest, in the midst of heavy rains, thick fogs, and swirling ground mist that muffled sound, blotted out sun, and reduced visibility to a few yards. The few divisions on the Luxembourg front were surprised and brushed aside. They found it hard to fight an enemy they could not neither see nor hear. 
For three days, it took two of the jubilant Nazis as if their desperate gamble would succeed. They had achieved a complete surprise. The 6th Panzer Army, rejuvenated in in secret after its debacle in France, seared through the Ardennes like a hot knife through butter. The 1st Army's 8th Corps was holding the area with three infantry divisions, one of them new and in the line only a few days. Thinly disposed over 88, an 88-mile front with one armored division far to their rear in reserve. The 8th Corps had been in the sector for months. It was considered a semi-rest area and outside of a little patrolling where it was wholly an inactive position. When the blow struck, the, fifth, the 8th Corps fought with imperishable heroism. The Germans were slowed down, but, but the Corps was too sh- shattered to stop w- with what had remained. Meanwhile, to the north, the 5th Panzer Army was slugging through another powerful prong along the vulnerable boundary between the 8th and the, four, and the 6th Corps. Had the bad weather continued, there is no telling how far the Germans might have advanced. On the 19th of December, the 3rd Army turned from the east to the north to meet the attack as General Patton rushed his divisions north from the Saar Valley to the relief of his beleaguered Bastogne. The prayer was answered. On December 20th, to the consternation of the Germans and to the delight of the American forecasters, who were equally surprised at the turnabout in the rain and the fog ceased. For the better part of a week came bright, clear skies and perfectly flying weather. Our planes came over by tens, hundreds, and thousands. They knocked out hundreds of tanks, killed thousands of enemy troops. And in the Bastogne, they left the, the enemy destroyed, harried, harried the enemy to, to, as he valiantly tried to bring up reinforcements. The 101st Airborne from the 4th, 9th, and 10th Armored Divisions, which saved Bastogne and other divisions which assisted so valiantly in driving the Germans home, will testify to the great support rendered by our Air Force. General Patton prayed for fair weather for the battle. He got it. It was late June, January of 1945 when I saw army, the army commander again. This was in the city of Luxembourg. He stood directly in front of me and smiled. Well, Padre, our prayers worked. I knew they would. Then he cracked me on the side of the steel helmet with a riding crop. That was the way of saying, well done. Prayers, patriots. Prayers. The most powerful weapon of war. It's in our history from the beginning until now. And this is a time when our nation needs more prayers than ever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are reminded with the stories of our own history of the power of prayer in such a mighty time of war. And in these days now, as things seem to be so desperate at times when they seem to be that we are not in an advancement and even at times of losing ground, hear our prayers, Father. We pray for good weather. We pray for the mightiness of the spirit of the patriot American to rise again, to see the sun, and to realize that with you all things are conquerable. We pray for the crushing of their enemy and the dissolution of his forces. We pray for the scattering of this evil and the casting it out of this nation. We pray in this season of winter as we come together of families to find the healing in our hearts and the mightiness of your love. And we we pray for the fierceness of truth that holds this line and the remembrance of the sacrifices made from Christ to our founding fathers to the thousands of soldiers that have shed their lives. May that spirit of power courage and righteousness now embolden all of us as we step into a new year on the offensive, not on the defensive, and let us crush this enemy and cast it out of this land once again to restore you to the throne as it was intended from the beginning. Guide us, Father, in this mighty time. Strengthen our hearts. Give us discernment with our eyes. 
lead us to victory. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Patriots, this is a time now more than ever to pray. These are powerful stories. Stories of reminder of commanders in war that understood that prayer made a difference. We are no different. Our war is no different. If you think it is, you've misviewed what's going on. The only difference now is we're not on a foreign land. Our enemy is amongst us. And what our enemy has is the words of fear. What our enemy fears is the one God, the true God, our God, the God of hosts. Lift your prayers in this time. Lift your prayers in this week. Pray like never before. Pray when you drive. Pray when you eat. Pray when you walk. Pray when you work in the house. Pray when you're at the job. There is no time that there should not be prayer. And these are prayers for victory, to crush this enemy, and to restore this nation to the greatness as God intended. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He will never forsake us. And God always wins. And we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time. God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man. And man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable. And we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, 
to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one. To win at any cost. But we will never bow. For we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.